Hi everyone. Uh, if you're not watching this live, make sure and check the notes for timestamps. Um, we're starting a smidge early because I have to end late, so I thought I'm set up. I might as well get started. Uh, I won't do housekeeping until seven minutes from now or so, so if you are watching this later, um, check that out. Live on Twitch, thank you, Mr. Certainly. And hello, love the factory. So uh, Spook has a vet appointment this afternoon after this, so um, that's why I got to get out of here by 3.30, or at least get off by 3.30 to give enough time to round him up and get over to the vet. Um, so I thought I'd start a little early, uh, but I don't want to dive too deep into it. I want to give some time time for folks to catch up. Um Hello, Chadwick. Hello, Patrick. Thank you, Mr. Certainly, for letting me know where we are live and you can obviously hear me. If folks have any questions before we dive into stuff, uh, go ahead and plop those in there while we get started. I do have a, a smidge of a mailbag, which is exciting. Actually, did I show the sensor? I showed it on Show and Tell. Um, it's too late. I'll maybe show that next time. <clears throat> I did get a bit distracted before here. We'll see. Mm -mm -mm. Any questions to start with? I've been doing lots and lots of flash stuff. Hello, Charles. It was sunny here, although it just looks like it got overcast. I got out for a bit of a walk around the block, which is really nice. No data. Did I stop? Um, YouTube's okay, right? OBS looks okay, but... YouTube says no data. Good afternoon, Gary. Mr. Certainly says, I just want to thank you, Scott. You cost me some money the other day. Your Pomona SOIC8 grabber inspired me to replace my low-quality ones with the box set from Pomona. Hello, Nino. Hello, Rodrigo. Rodrigo says, I just got my RP2040 yesterday, and it's amazing. All right. Excellent condition. Okay, I don't know why it was telling me no data. Uh, did it? Let me know if it's hitching at all. It looks fine from my end. Uh, but <laughs> I like to live on the wild side, and I tend to update. Uh, I tend to update um, my box right before. Um, James says five by five. Cutie Pie says yep. Uh, John says good evening from the UK. Can anyone recommend a feather with a? 433 megahertz LoRa plus CircuitPython. John, you're going to be better off if I... Th Do we have a 433 megahertz feather wing? I would recommend the wing instead of having it built in because uh, I think all of the the feathers with, with the radios directly are, are a little underpowered at this point. Um, but if you get the wing, then you can upgrade it as you go along and you can also use more powerful ones. Uh, Davey says hello from Colorado. 
Uh, Granifal says, hello, Scott. First time catching the stream. Just started working on my Feather 2040. Excited. Awesome. Yeah, I love the Feather. The Feather uh, 2040s are great. Um, and they're going to get better here shortly. They're actually, they're going to be a little bit slow right now uh, because of the Flash stuff that I'm doing. Naradoc confirms that says, yeah, they are non-express M0s. So the, the radio feathers are, I don't recommend them. Get the feather wings if you can. Um, Dexter says, a 3.5 TFT feather wing just arrived, connecting it to a Feather S2, which is exciting. Um, all right, we're about there. Let's see, is did David is David in the dock yet? Um, we're going to have to sync time codes at some point. Okay, let's, I guess, wait two more minutes. Any other folks working on the RP2040s? Having a good time with them? Ah, David is in the chat. Hi, David. <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming up in all the chats now. Betagraph says, uh, look for, looking forward to the QT's small form factor. Yes, I 100%. Um, there's a little bit of a, a delay on the cutie pie and the itsy bitsy simply because Lamore was trying to decide what flash footprint to use. And then once she decided it, she discovered that a lot of the flashes are out of stock right now. So I think she found some. So uh, that should be kind of unblocked. Hi, Bruce. Hopefully it's this nice up in Vancouver. It's quite nice here today. Hi, King of North. Uh, King or North, I've noticed you do a lot of uh, videos on YouTube about CircuitPython. You should make sure and add them to the newsletter uh, that goes out every week. We'd love to share them. <laughs> Mr. Certainly says, yeah, I have a bunch of old M0 Laura feather feathers. Wish I got the feather wings instead. All right, get, let's get the show on the road because, like I said, I'm... I usually go, I usually go uh, two hours or so, but today I only have 90 minutes. Um, Johnny says, hi there, Scott. So 2040 today as well. Yeah, I feel ya. Um, okay, let's, uh, let me, looks right, right enough. Um, okay, so housekeeping. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Scott, and I work for Adafruit on CircuitPython. Uh, CircuitPython is an open source version of Python designed for low cost microcontrollers uh, called, well, computers called microcontrollers. Uh, here is an example of one. Um, this is a Raspberry Pi Pico and has the RP2040 chip on it as designed by the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Um, oh yeah, I was, I was exactly two o'clock PST too, wasn't I? Great. Um, so uh, boards like this are designed by Adafruit and we sell them. So if you want to support me and support Adafruit, go to adafruit.com and purchase uh, all the different electronics that you can find on there. Um, and if you want to uh, look for different projects to do with electronics, learn.adafruit.com is a great place as well. Um, so Adafruit is an open source hardware and software company. So all, all the work they pay me to do is open source, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so if you want to chat with me and uh, a lot of other folks, uh, we have a Discord server, which is the gray box over here. Um, that is, you can go to the URL adafru.it slash discord to check that out. 
Um, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's an ever-growing community of awesome folks. Uh, so this is a deep dive. It happens every week, nearly every week. Uh, normally Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, but occasionally shifted to Thursdays at 2 p.m. Uh, in particular, next week will be on Tuesday. We're going to do our last um, last ski day, I think, uh, on Friday next week. So um, next week will be on Thursday after John Park's workshop. We do tend to start a little bit late, depending on how late John goes. Um, it typically goes for two hours or more. Questions are welcome and encouraged. Um, but uh, beware that uh, today is only 90 minutes or so because the cat has a vet uh, that I have to take into after. It's just his annual checkup. Um, I was meant to do it in December, and then I didn't get around to scheduling it until January. And then by the time I called them in January, they're like, we're really busy. Uh, how about March? So that's what <laughs> that's what's going on today. And speaking of the cat, the last bit of housekeeping is that he is epileptic, uh, which means he has seizures occasionally. He has had them during the stream. Um, but, uh, he's been doing really well, so I don't expect that to happen, but just know that if, if I'm watching him and not paying attention, that's why. Um, ah, David G says, hi, sorry, I'm late. I was watching Sandy McDonald from Pimeroni first live stream on the Kibo 2040. Oh, neat. That's good. That would be great to add to the newsletter as well. And speaking of the newsletter, King of North confirms that Anne has been adding most of them to the newsletter. Uh, as well. So if you don't know, uh, there is a Python for Microcontrollers newsletter done by Adafruit, but um, drafted in the open. So if you have any Python-y stuff to add to that, you are welcome to make pull requests to the draft. Uh, you can go to uh, github.com slash Adafruit slash, slash circuitpython-weekly-newsletter, I think is where it is. Um, and that goes out to like, I think it's like 8,000 folks last time I checked. So it is interesting, uh, and so we just want stuff related to that. Um, so a couple more hellos. Uh, hello to Deshipu. Hello to Tom Twist, who says, Two Picos just arrived today. Um, Johnny says, <laughs> Guten Abend to Deshipu. Tablatronics waves. Hi, Tablatronics. Um, Emmett Ray says, Hi, Scott. Ordered Pico, but the postal office burned with my Pico and other stuff. Oh, I feel ya. I, I think I was telling folks about an Oshpark order I did with USPS and it just um, just like got lost and then all of a sudden showed up in Tennessee, which is nowhere between where it was coming from, Oregon and here. But it did finally make it, which is good. Mark Gambler says hello. Keith E says hello. Hope all is well. And Bruce says snow rained in Whistler today. Just got off the hill. Awesome day running in as I type. Yeah, hopefully I was thinking about that. I need to check the weather since we are planning on skiing next week. Um, okay, so I think uh, I have a quick mailbag. Um, so I just thought I, I this is an order that I ordered long ago, but I thought I would just hold it up because it's not that exciting. Um, David says I've had great success with USPS for most of my Adafruit orders. Yeah, generally they work well. Um, so the first thing I got is another compute module board. I'll take it out of the bag so it doesn't reflect. I don't want the bag anyway. So I got, if you've been keeping track, I do have one of these already. Um, when Adafruit got it in stock, I, or Adafruit had the modules in stock and then DigiKey had the, the IO boards in stock. But I actually ordered this before that. I back ordered it through Newark thinking they would get it first. Um, so I got that. And if that's any indication of what the other two things are, um, I thought I would just look. 
So I got two, I got two commute, compute modules to go with it. So here's a compute module and it had, doesn't actually tell you which one it is, except it's the CM4102000, which I don't remember. Oh, I guess I threw away the bag that said what it was. Let's see, this bag does not say, oh yeah, this one's, I don't think I can reach the bag with headphones on, so I don't know what that, I don't know what the other one is. Um, but this one is a, let's see, it's a CM4104016, which uh, the bag says is a RPI module for 4 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs EMMC Wi-Fi. So this is, I got one that was like pretty bare bones and one that was um, not so bare bones. So um, I have more Pi 4 stuff for when I finally get around to, um, finally get around to doing native, uh, native CircuitPython on the Raspberry Pi. Although I was talking to David about it earlier. So maybe I'm hoping somebody beats me to it. Um, but I'm like about to turn the corner into Bluetooth land, which is super exciting. It's something that I wanted to do for a long, long time. And uh, the nice stuff about the Bluetooth, the Bluetooth stuff that I want to do um, in the next couple weeks, start in the next couple weeks is uh, Trevor, our iOS dev, is also um, like in pace or in sync. So it's going to be him and I and maybe some other folks teaming up and really hoping, hopefully doing all this Bluetooth work. Um, Bad Abby says, I'm excited for the Pi Unora carrier board to come out. Yeah, me too. It was my idea. So I'm exci super excited to see Timon uh, come out with it uh, and see what people think. Um, uh, 12 DJ6 says, just got Picos from Canadian DigiKey. Took four weeks for lead time, but then one day for shipping. Nice. Picos are exciting. Johnny says, woohoo, mailbag. Uh, I did get more stuff, but I actually already put it away. I got a new soldering iron, which is very exciting. I haven't used it yet, but I cleaned this a bit last night and there as well. Um, and then the shirt is um, Hacktoberfest. So Hacktoberfest is something that DigitalOcean runs uh, every October, usually. Um, and uh, it is, if you contribute like so many PRs to open source projects, they'll send you a t-shirt. The last one was either a t-shirt or planting a tree. And I was like, I hate the earth. I want the t-shirt. So I, this is 2019s, but I do have a, a 2021 as well. Um, so we'll keep doing that. We do that in, as part of CircuitPython as well. Um, Mototima says, I only wish the Unora had the P PoE header. I assume that's what IPU, <laughs> yeah. Mark went with the t-shirt too. Um, okay, so let's... So I splurged on... An, so Mr. Certainly asked, uh, which iron did I get? Um, and it looks like you're like 30 seconds off, David. So I'll just plop that in there. Um, maybe my time is running too fast. So I, I splurged a little bit. Uh, what got me thinking about it originally was, uh, Chris Gamble talking about getting a Thermaltronics. Uh, but then when I looked at the Thermaltronics is I was a little wary of how they were all out of stock on Amazon. So I, um, let me pull it up. 
uh, I went with a JBC, which is like twice the cost. Um, but I had seen a thread here that I'm pulling up on. So Jeff Kaiser here, desktop, um, asked to folks about like JBC irons, and there's a lot of a lot of folks who are in this electronics world saying like JBC is the best, um, really awesome. So I went with the JB, JBC, um, and I got the. I haven't used it yet, so I can't tell you what I think, but I'm quite excited. Um, I got the compact station here. And it's funny, I actually realized after figuring out that they're in Barcelona that I like been in their lobby. I like met a drone company there when I was in Europe, right after I started working for Adafruit. Um, and I had been doing drone stuff prior to Adafruit. So I vis visited somebody there and uh, JBC is in the same complex. So I was like, I remember looking at all the equipment and how expensive it was and being like, I'll never get this. But um, I don't know if these compact ones were ever there, but they were there. It, it was like $600 total, but I've been doing more uh, as I, I've been doing more soldering recently. So I was, I really wanted something that was much quicker uh, when you hit like a ground plane and you have to pump out heat. So these are supposedly really good for that. So that is what I got. I haven't tried it yet. I'm supposed to, it was a, it was a bribe for me finishing this part of the office that I haven't actually finished yet. Um, I have to do, one, I think I'm going to do one more kind of feathering of the paint and then I'll be done and be able to like put this all back together. But I'm going to do that tomorrow. So technically I can't play with it uh, until then, I think. Um, okay. So if you have questions, feel free to ask them. Um, but I thought I would just... Uh, I, I, I detoured this morning. Let me show you what I detoured in. So... Um, Logic is here. So Logic is uh, a Logic Analyzer software. And sorry, I don't have the overhead hooked up because I actually needed. Oh, let me move this around. This is where I keep my like stream status is like right below the, the screen edge there. Um, okay, so this is Logic and I have a Logic Pro 16. I've showed this before. So if you want to see my setup, check one of the previous streams. Um, but I, what I'll do is I'll just, I've got a feather. Sorry, I, I can't show this because it's all hooked up, but I have a feather. I have my feather with the, the spy socket on it and then it's going into the salier. So I just want to do a capture because I want to show you what I did is I worked on my spy flash um, analyzer. So if I hit reset and hit start and then let go, it'll capture and I'll just hit stop. Um, so what I was working on is I actually added simple parallel support to the spy flash analyzer that I have. So now um, what we can do is we can zoom in here 
And um, one thing that's interesting is the, the code.py it's running is a blink, and it blinks uh, every 400 milliseconds. So you can see when code is, I know that's kind of small, but there's a gap of 400 milliseconds between flash loads, which is when it's loading code off the flash. Um, and so if you want to see what it's loading, what you can do now is you can zoom in and uh, it's doing a quad access, but when I, I just added support so that um, not only is it analyzing the quad reads, um, but it knows quad word read, which is a special mode that the Giga device stuff supports, uh, which has only two dummy by two dummy cycles instead of four. Uh, which means that you sit you save two cycles and then um it now also does uh it, it does the continuation stuff that um, the rp2040 uses so the way that the rp2040 init works and we'll kind of dig into this because this is what i want to wrap up is like i have everything working i think and so all i've got to do is like one make one more final pass over all my changes for the flash stuff and probably add some docs uh and and fix the ci but um should be able to get a pull request out for uh the support for different flash chips on circuit python on their rp2040 so that's that's kind of like the work that i'm wrapping up and i said even in the title of the stream like we're wrapping this up today um I'm ready to move on. <laughs> so uh, I thought we like we've done that before where we look at all the changes. And so I have to do that anyway before I make the pull request. Um. <laughs> Mototima says Jason Kreidner from BeagleBone.org was asking about the state of CircuitPython on Zephyr. And I realized I never heard the two in the same sentence. Um, We haven't done any work on it. Um, MicroPython has a Zephyr port. I don't know the state of it. Um, I know that Marine's been keeping it up to date, so that's been cool. Um, but for a while, they didn't have a way to do like dynamic pin muxing, and I think they added an API for it, but I haven't actually looked. Um, so it might be doable now, but um, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. Um, we tend to do our own thing. Like we're, we're, we're very tied to tiny USB instead. Um, I'm much more of a person of having like a lot of repos that are independent. Hi, Sean. Happy Friday. Okay. So I don't, I mean, maybe Salies are expensive for everybody and they are, but they're, they're a worthwhile tool, especially if you're doing flash stuff. Um, so you can see here that like it's doing a read um, and then checking status register. And then you can see that it's going into quad word reads. Um, he probably meant MicroPython. I don't know. I've talked with Jason about CircuitPython. Hopefully he wants CircuitPython. Hello, unexpected maker. Um, David asks, what bandwidth do you need for this analysis? So, you know, one for for doing this sort of capture, um, you don't actually need that much bandwidth um, because you can actually, like with flash chips, you rarely actually have, um, you rarely actually have issues 
if you just slow it down like everything will run slower but it'll run the same so if you do have a logic analyzer that can't be super quick um you can just um <laughs> you can you can just slow down the flash and and then look at everything that's happening um unless you're having signal integrity issues and then that will be that will be different um Unexpected Maker says DS Logic is a solid and cheaper alternative for a logic analyzer. Yeah, I haven't tried it. I really would like. I have this tiny logic friend project that I mean to get back to. Like, there's no reason that all these micros can't be low, low end um, logic analyzers on their own. Like, somebody just needs to make an open source protocol across the two that that captures like pin naming and stuff across the protocol. Yeah, I've started working on it and I need I want to get back to it at some point. But like Pulse View's great. I, I had to fix a bug when I was looking at it, but yeah. Like Pulse View already has a quad spy analyzer, but I mean Logic 2, uh, this is like the newer Logic 2, and they've done a great job and it's all Python, which is great. So it's just like a the analyzer that's doing all this is all Python. It's just unfortunate because you have to like plug a low-level analyzer in, and then then you can get uh, the output of that into Python. So there's a couple tricks that have to happen here. But like, if you're ever doing spy flash and you're having reliability issues, being able to see what's going on is like super helpful. And um, Jeff and and Lamore, Lady Ada have already start just kind of circled back to the IMXRT, and like we're going to be doing some flash stuff for that as well. Okay, so let's go, um, and if you want to install it, if you if you are a Salia user, what you can do is if you if you click extensions here, you'll see that I have this Spy Flash um, one here, and it says it's local. Um, that's my local version. Yes, this is under Anthony asks, is this under Linux? Yes, it is. Um, I'm running on Arch, and Logic Two is like, um, what's it called? The like Chrome thing. Um, but if you, if you have logic to installed, what you can do is you can s scroll down and you'll find the, the other version here, the spy flash version. Um, and this is the wrong version. 0 0.80 is the older one, but it emailed me to tell me it got nine. So you want zero nine zero, uh, if you want the quad spy stuff, um, it has the update up to date readme, So I don't know quite why it's not everything but that's should be super handy um and i'm i had this code written for quad analysis already uh, where i was just taking in a csv export and then i realized that like i could probably just do it in here using a parallel and so i i did that this morning and so it's good it'll be helpful the next time i do spy flash stuff as well or if anybody else is doing it too okay so here's my Here's the, I have two main browser windows open right now, and this is my Flash one. It's just like a ton of data sheets for Flash. Um, Anthony asks, what hardware interface are you using? I have a, a Salier Logic 16, which is like the top end. Um, it's like not cheap. Uh, but it's it's pretty awesome. I don't know why they don't just tell you. 
Yeah, so the Logic Pro 16 can do 16 inputs. I ba I rarely use an oscilloscope. This is, I hate these pop-ups. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty been pretty awesome. Tan says my favorite Friday stream. Hello, welcome to the your favorite Friday stream. Uh, okay, so they're pricey, but th this analyzer or yeah, it should work with that too with the lower the lower ones um let me know if it doesn't okay so let's pull up my changes and go through them so what i've done is i've um <laughs> mr certainly points out salier and digilent have had several price increases over the past few years so my two cents is if you need something get it sooner than later they're not going to be cheaper yeah, but hopefully in the future we have much cheaper options uh, that aren't Celia. Like, yeah. Especially as we get into IMX, the, one of the exciting things about the IMX RT is that they're USB high speed. So you should be able to pump like more sampling data out of that as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of hardware that could do it. It's a software problem, not a hardware problem. Yeah. Unexpected Maker says Salia is an awesome kit, but super pricey, which is why I got a DS Logic. But I'm keen to see how your project MCU based version evolves. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to do it. Like, so much of what I want to do is just software bottlenecked. Um, but I think I think it's always important to, to point out that, like, yeah, Salia is like hundreds of dollars, like maybe almost a thousand. But, like, if you're working like I do in this in this space, like, you quickly that your time that you save quickly adds up to hundreds of dollars um so having good tools is is important um and underrated i think too i think yeah some people consider their time free and it's important to realize that your time isn't free um and so if you can have tools that make it make it better then they could be worth it okay so let's look at this RP2040 flash, and I'm going to get a unicorn here as I compare, I think. Uh, because my f my personal fork is a f was forked originally from MicroPython, I get this, like, terrible, terrible offset. And then when I switch it to Adafruit CircuitPython as my base, now it's on Master, which is an old version. Um, <laughs> Keith E says, there's a real cost to fighting software. Just getting something that works is so helpful. Yeah, it is, for sure. Okay, so if I switch it to main, this will work. Okay, so um, here's how we have it set up. So uh, let's just go over this. This is also going to be my, like, before I make a pull request sort of thing. Um, I do want to actually see... It looks like... It, it doesn't look like the... Um, the CI ran it all, so I'm gonna to want to do that too. I might make an a, an open uh, after let let's go over this, and then I'll make a, a draft pull request and see. I kind of suspect the CI will will not be happy. Um, okay, so I've temporarily switched Pico SDK to the Adafruit version. The reason is is um, I had to make uh, Pico SDK 
function call that is usually that is static currently non-static so we can use it it's the call to um, run a command to the flash and the reason that i need that is because oh and i should test that as well i don't think i actually test that code um but what i've done for the rp2040 is we actually don't bake the size of the flash into the binary anymore um, what I have it doing is I have it reading a, a, a standard ID from the flash that tells us how big it is. Um, and then that will dictate how big we make the file system. Um, so that's something I should test. Um, <laughs> okay, so that looks good. So I'm just going to collapse them as I look. So you'll notice here that I also added a subrepo for under data. So data is a new top level folder, and I'm adding this NVM toml. Um, I just got pinged by Melissa. Okay, so there I added the data slash NVM toml. I added this D Raspberry Pi. This is switching indentation. So I've added some build stage stuff. So whereas we were taking a stage 2.c from um, the Pico SDK, now what we're doing is I'm running a Python script to generate it instead. So uh, this Python script is called gen stage 2. And it takes a Jinja file, which is like a standard, pretty common templating system for Python. And it, it takes that C file, Jinjas it, and then generates a, a stage 2.c, which then gets compiled as normal. Um, and this is related to, so what I also added doing for the Pico is I'm moving, we have some code already designated as ITCM and DTCM, which is stuff I did for the IMXRT, which is tight, TCM is tightly coupled memory. And on the, on the IMX, there's, uh, because it's a Cortex M7, it fetches instructions differently from data. It's got like two separate memory ports. Um, so uh, it's Jinja with a J, J I N J A. Um, so uh, yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm I, I'm using those designations for stuff that should be in tightly coupled memory, and I'm putting it in. Um, I'm, I'm using it on the RP2040 to put code in RAM. And the reason I'm doing that is if, if the code is in RAM, then I don't need to um, I don't need to load it from the flash as I want to execute it, which means that the stuff that's cached from the flash uh, doesn't need to include the stuff that's in RAM. So the idea the hope is that like by taking the code that you're always going to use, like the VM, and putting it in RAM instead instead of leaving it in flash, it means that like you'll free up more space for caching in the cache itself. Um, so I'm doing that in this in this change as well, and that's what. So this dash R means that the binary doesn't include the DTCM BSS section, um, which makes it like the binary really really big. It makes it like 250 megabytes large because of the address space. Um, so I had to remove that. Okay, so let's collapse that. Uh, next up, we have changes to all the board files. So you'll see our, we're removing total flash size. Um, internal flash file system equals one is moved to the port configuration because like all of them are going to do that. And now we also have this external flash devices, which is the same 
definition that we have in other ports like the Atmel SAMD for the external flash. It works differently, but it's defined the same way, which I'm pretty happy about. Um, so here we're just removing and defining. And these IDs here have to match the IDs that are in the NVM TOML. I think I don't think I I think all this Python -y stuff is new. Um, but I'm pretty excited about I'm pretty happy with it um, having a central location. So here we can see that I had to copy the boot stage two linker script into our um, into our folder out of the SDK because I it adds these dot stars. Um, because our section names are not just dot entry, they're like dot entry dot the, the section. Um, so we have it ourselves, and this is what tells us when we've overflowed, which is nice. Um, and then this is a new script. I don't think I showed it last week. I'm not sure how far I was last week. Um, but this is the script that takes in the, the Jinja template and produces the, the actual C file. So. Um, I'm using Typer, which is something I used uh, for Cascade Toml as well. And it basically automatically creates a CLI interface, command line interface, based on Python and Python types. So it will automatically take like the two first two arguments and make sure that they're paths. And then this last argument is an optional string with the default of um, empty string. So what you could do is if there's a if there's a comma in SKUs, we split it. Otherwise, we just have a list of one, um, and then we we filter. We create a a set of filters that we passed. So Cascade Toml, I think as I showed it last time, was just a it was just a command line uh, application. But what I've done is I've split it apart a bit so that. Um, you can basically use it as a library instead of it using it as a command line. So you can see I'm importing cascade toml and then I'm calling filter toml. So I give it the path. So this is the root path. So this is where uh, all of the toml definitions for NVM, which is non-volatile memory is. And then I give it SKUs, which is now the filter for everything. So what it returns is a list of fully cascaded definitions for all the flash. So it's basically like, Given these flash SKUs, give me all the settings for each of them. And then what this script is doing is it's figuring out the least kind of the least common denominator for all the flashes that you've picked. So if all of your flashes can do quad word read like E7, then it will produce code that does E7. If some of them can do E7, but some of them can't, but they could all do uh, EB, which is um, the quad read. Uh, with four dummy bytes, um, then it'll produce that. And if it can't do that, then you'll f it'll fall back to the zero three, which is like a very slow read. Um, but the, all flash, all flashes should be able to do. So uh, we're just checking that there were SKUs to begin with, and then a couple helpers all have make sure that um, they all have a particular key and that it's true. Uh, and all match, make sure that uh, all of them polyfill for spy. Yeah, basically. Um, all match, make sure that uh, they all have the same value. Um, so you can see here, we're checking quad enable status byte. This is which status byte quad enable is in. Bit mask tells you which bit it is. 
Continuous status right uh, is one way of setting the quad enable. Split status right is the other way. Some can do both. Some can do one or the other, <laughs> turns out. Um, and so this figures, this will then figure out like, is there a way for us to do uh, the status rights for all the flashes that's the same? If not, it falls back to zero three again. Um, and then there's this E7 quad word read as well, which all the Giga devices could do, which is on the Feather RP2040. That's why I support it. Then we figure out the max clock speed, which I don't think I'm actually using. You can see here that um, I'm saying if, so there's actually three states to these two status right ones. There's true, false, and, and none. Um, none meaning uh, that they're mixed. Uh, they don't all agree. So um, continuous status right is none and split status right is none means that for all the flashes we picked, there's no one way to write the quad enable bit uh, or write the status register. Um, therefore, we can't do quad. We can't set the, the quad enable bit. Um, otherwise, and I think, yeah, there's also quad okay here as well. So there's this check that says, the enable status byte and the enable bit mask also have to be the same in order to do quad. Um, so we default to read command with zero wait cycles. Uh, if quad is okay and we and we can do um, quad word read, then we'll do quad word read and rate two. Otherwise, we'll do eb and four. And then you just throw that in a dictionary and then uh, load the template, render the template, and write it back out. Um, so that's what Gen Stage 2 does. Here's the linker changes for doing the ITCM and DTCM stuff. Um, so it takes about, I think, 10K of RAM, but it should be worth it. It should make execution faster, which is the goal. Here's the internal flash file system. Here are the changes I made to the SDK, which I actually have a pull request out to the Raspberry Pi people to incorporate. Maybe they'll pick it up. There's a comment that says, like, maybe make this public. So I think they have to have some debate about whether that's actually what they want. Okay, so here's the stage 2.c, Jinja. And I think this is where I was last last week. I was trying to get the quad um, stuff all going. Maybe I, I also spent some time trying to read the, the capacity at that point as well. Um, Let's just go over this. So we have some includes uh, and some defines. I changed some of the defines at the top here based on whether we're doing quad or not um, because they're like used in multiple places. So um, that's all the same. So this is all ginger stuff. So if you see like, it looks like it's gonna pick out, it's highlighting with based on ginger. So we'll, we'll be able to see that. Um, Regular, like, commands, strike data. I think I, I went over this right. So we store the link register because we need to know whether we're coming from real code or from the bootloader. We'll do that at the end. Um, we set up the data lines. And if we're doing quad, we'll set all of the data lines rather than just the, uh, the input line. Um, disabled SSI, set the baud rate or the divider, which is implies the baud rate, we delay one. Um, and then basically what it does is you have to kind of like, you switch modes as you start up 
depending on the, the commands that you want to do. So this is the most basic, and this is this is the setting that we need in order to just like set the status register. Um, so we'll set that mode, we'll enable it, and then what we'll do is, depending on the status register here, and I don't know, I don't think I tested all of this code, but it worked on, it works for the cases where we're using it. We can fix it later otherwise. So this is like, depending on which status byte you have, either read the first one or the second one, then you get the quad enable bit mask as well. And then if, if it doesn't match, it means that quad enable is not enabled. So what you do is then you set write enable. You, we have wait and read. So it like, it waits until everything's done, which means chip select has gone back high. And then it reads the, the FIFO of whatever it is. I had one bug where I wasn't matching my writes to reads. Like I was, I was writing two bytes and reading one, which meant the thing later that was trying to like know the second byte was something was, was wrong. So like getting those matching was, was a pain. Um, and then here you can see like, if we're doing split status, right, we do this thing, uh, which allows us to just do one, right. Uh, so we, we write the command and then we write the value. Otherwise we, if we can't do a split status, right, we do a status one, right. But if we're writing to the second byte, we do an empty zero first before we give the quad enable byte. And then we wait. Um, and then we wait for the write to complete, which is another issue I was having. Um, this was not working correctly, which meant I was getting to this later stuff and it was failing because it was in the middle of actually doing a write. So we disable. So that's at this point, the quad enable set, um, which means we can now switch to quad if we're doing quad. Um, so we disable again, we set up to do a, a, a single read, um, but this format here is also the same format as if, if we're not doing quad. So this gets used if we're not doing quad. Um, or that's shared. There's two control zeros, which is really confusing. So if we're doing quad, we have this intermediate state where we re-enable we send our write, send our the read command we're going to do and make sure we read zero, 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 zero um, with the continuous read mode set, um, which is basically a way to save the eight clock cycles to send the command again. Um, so that's why you have to do like one special read at the start for the flash to like get into the continuous read mode. And then once you're in there, you can set your final settings, which means that um, there's like, if you look at the data sheet, they say like, we modified this peripheral to do this fancy thing. So if inst instruction length will be zero in that case, which means that it actually puts the command after the address, not before, um, which is a bit of a hack, but it allows you to send that like, yeah, keep, keep in the same mode bit. Um, and this is where we set wait cycles. We say how long the address is and read instruction. If you're doing quad read instruction will actually be that continuation mode. It won't actually be the, the instruction itself. And then transaction type tells it whether it's quad or not. And then we re-enable and basically we're all set up at this point. So the first read that we'll see is actually this one here. So no, I take that back. This is making the pointer. Um, and then we set the vtor so this is the vector table offset 
this changes where uh, all the interrupt handlers mapping is is located. And then this is the first read we actually do. We do we read the first entry of the vector table into the stack pointer because that's what is stored there. And then the second entry is the reset handler address. Um, so we read it and then we branch to it and we're done. We have two helpers. We have wait and read, which is just wait until uh, the transmit FIFO is empty. So that will be zero when everything's out of the FIFO. And then we wait for busy to finish. So the busy bit is high as it's transmitting and drops low. Um, and this I had an issue with as well. <laughs> I wasn't correctly waiting. So what I was seeing in the in the sale I was I was seeing like five of eight bits being done. And I was like, we should be waiting for this. Why aren't we? And it was because of this. Uh, this check was, these two loops were wrong. But these are correct now. And then I have the, the read part. So um, for given count, we read in the result, but we only return the last one. And then to read the status, we send status twice, and then we wait and read two. Okay, so that's the Jinja file. And that should, I think, cover kind of all of our bases currently. Um, there's a chance, you know, one thing that we're not really handling is that there's a chance that boards may want to do dual mode which is a mode that a lot of these flashes can do where they it works like quad, but it's only two lines instead of four. Um, but it's all different commands, so it wouldn't be hard to support, but I don't think any of the RP2040 boards use it yet. Um, so it, it would have to be added there and, and all the data to NBM Tommel as well. Um, any questions? I don't know how many more files I've got. I'll keep going through it. So far, it's looking good. So, I, you know, it's a once I get all the way through it, I'll be able to do uh, make the PR. I do need to test uh, erasing and re recreating the file system. I think that's the only time we actually need it. But then again, you, you know me, I kind of work in the way of like, I'm pretty sure it's correct. And then we get it out and we find the issues and we fix them. Um, okay. So here, what we're doing is we're storing flash size statically. This is in ports, Raspberry Pi, supervisor, internal flash. So that only applies to RB2040. We, uh, this binary info is fixed in the, in the flash image. So we just pretend to, that we have a one megabyte um, block device just to the Pico tool. Uh, it won't work won't be correct but it's fine and then what we do is we do a read here that reads the rdid register and the fourth or the third byte back is a power of two size and we just validate that like the the data we get back is within the kind of reasonable range because there is one manufacturer that does it wrong um, and so it'll default to 21 which is uh two megabytes um Otherwise, it says power of two to that, and then flash size is, is one to the power of two. And then you can see here that the one place where we were using total flash size, we replace it with the static flash size, which should happen after uh, flash init. So that's that. Okay, so this in port is the, the DTCM, ITCM stuff. So basically, 
as we do port init, before we call any of those functions, we need to copy the contents of those functions. So I just cribbed this kind of straight from the IMXRT stuff. Uh, this usually happens in reset handler, but because we're using the Pico SDK, we don't actually have access to the reset handler. But everything that we're storing in that region is like has to do with running the VM. Um, so by the time port init is called, like port init's the very first thing in main, so it's still plenty early. Um, oh yeah, Kmatch says hopefully hopefully we get an appearance from Trevor on the deep dive when the BLE stuff gets integrated with phone apps. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I know Trevor is in New York, so I'm not sure how the how well the timing works for that, uh, but I could ask him about it. Um, and he's a new dad too, so he's pretty busy. Uh, but yeah, so this is just the the case where we copy from the Flash version to the uh, RAM destination. And then what we also do is we um, set the Flash copy to zero, which should flush the that line out of the cache. Um, so I was starting to think about like the execute place cache stuff. So that's that. Um, and then I had to change a few things because we're doing internal flash file system with external flash devices. So I had to be more, I had to change a few of these checks here. Um, this is the thing that changes the macros for the TCM stuff. And I added Raspberry Pi, blah, blah, blah. Again, this is just changing a check. Um, yeah, and that's it. It looks really clean to me. So the last thing I want to check is, um, actually, let me just see if the, the erase works while I'm thinking of it. So let me, I'll toggle data on. So CircuitPie popped up and one of these is, I guess it's, it's this one. So if we look at properties, we can see that it's three megabytes, which is not correct. Actually, it might be correct <laughs> because this is the the feather that has the. Uh... It has the. I don't know what flash chip I actually have in the socket. Um, okay, let's just eject it and we'll run erase file system. It should be three. I mean that looks right. It's not the default. Um, and we have two ACMs and one of them is the time codes. This one is hello world. So this is the feather RP2040. So I'm going to import storage. Hopefully this is working. Erase file system and it disconnects. And then it should erase and then it should restart. Yep, there we go. And now we're on there again. And let's just do the same thing we just did, which is click it. And we have another hello world and properties. And now it's seven megabytes. Okay, so I must have an eight megabyte in there. <laughs> Maybe it was wrong before. Um, it's possible that that could be lying to me, but I think it's correct. I don't actually know what this flash chip is, but 
Uh, that's good enough for me. I just wanted to make sure that it that it worked well enough. People will test it and let me know if I got it wrong. Um. All right, so that's looking really good. Um, I'm actually very pleased with that. So the, the other two things I wanted to check were, this is adding uh, Python dependencies to the build. So I actually just want to go over the learn guide about building CircuitPython. Um, what does the chip ID say? What do you mean? I can't read the chip itself. Yeah, this says 64 on it. So this this is an 8 megabyte chip. So that was correct. It was correct to flash it to that. The 4 megabytes originally might have been from a previous version. So um, yeah, the, electri the electronic ID does indicate the flash size. Let me show you. I've got, if only I could find a flash data sheet here. Uh, here's one. Um, so one of, if you're... Have we, have I not shown a flash data sheet? Let me just let me just go over this because um, I have a ton of them here. I don't think I have. Have I? So this is for the Winbond twenty five Q thirty two. So thirty two is bits, which means it's uh, divide by eight for how many bytes it is or megabytes. Um, so. Uh, table of contents is really handy. As always, if you can have a, f a reader that's that does this too, it's really nice to skip around data sheets. Um, so let's see. Sections-wise, we had general description, package types, pinned descriptions, block diagram, status, status register. <laughs> Hanslab says, hi, y'all. Just got out of a meeting. My new chair rocks, if anyone was wondering. What chair did you get? That's That's the follow-up question. Um, okay, so if we're looking at a flash data sheet, which confirmed to me, folks, that I haven't gone over this, but um, so the the two the two spots that I l look the most is status and configuration registers. This will tell you what status byte and what bit quad enable is, so that can be really handy. And then the instructions, in particular, the start of the instruction section is usually really helpful. Um, here you can see actually see uh, oh I, I didn't didn't see this so there's this device ID and instruction set table so um, this is actually what 9f is loading so it gets an ef and then it loads these two bytes um, which is not not right that's not what I'm thinking I don't know what that's for. Uh, oh, so instruction. So it, oh, come on. so it returns 16, which actually seems kind of low to me. Um, I thought it should be higher than that. So what we can do is look in the NVM Tomal wind bond 32 JVIQ. Yeah, it says 16. My 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 math is not right. Let me double check. Internal flash. 
I said between 20 and 30, but it should be returning 16. What is 21? Okay, let's get Python out. Python, one to the 16. 65, five, 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 three, six. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's definitely not right. <laughs> I don't think that's right. I would expect it to be like, this data sheet must be wrong. Like one to the 21 is two, two megabytes. One megabyte is one to the 20. Yeah, so it doesn't support anything below a megabyte. But this data sheet is not right. <laughs> but that's weird because this capacity listed... Oh, you know, it's hex 16. That's what's messing me up. It's 22. Okay. Hex is complicated. Ham's Lab has a chair that was... Highly rated on Tom's Hardware and has $154 on Amazon. Check the Discord if you want to see that. Okay, so capacity we can load from the chip, and it's just like the, the power of two for the capacity. And it's generally correct, uh, but it's not always correct. So I, I, that's why I bound it a bit. Um... So that's all correct. That works. Oh, I was looking at I was looking at the data sheet, wasn't I? So the other thing that's really handy is this overview of all of the commands that you could do. So you can see here that like 90 is this one and it has two dummy bytes, a zero and then manufacturer and ID. But we the JDEC ID is the one that we use, which is 9F and then these things. And then read unique ID 4B is also used. This is actually how we get a unique ID uh, for for the RP2040 because the RP2040 chips don't have a unique ID at all. Um, <laughs> Makers Bill asks, how consistent are these commands? Is there a standard? There is a standard um, by JDEC, but it's... Uh, it varies some. <laughs> it varies some. So, uh, some of these you're you're just gonna find on everything. Like I think nine F is like always gonna be the same. Right enable is gonna always be the same. Like the core commands are the same. Where a lot of the variation comes is what quad modes are supported, and then also how you enable quad mode. So if we go back to package types, what we see here is like the eight pin flashes that have these pins that do kind of two things like that. This is WP is right. Protect. <laughs> yeah. Luke, Luke Ren says there are many standards, not just one standard. And that's part of the problem. Um, and that's something that I'm trying to capture here uh, in the NVM Toml. So if you look in NVM Toml, there's an nvm.template.toml. And I have comments here for all of these different um, settings that are captured in it. So 
you can see here quad enable status byte says status byte number that contains the quad enable bit one base to match flash docs. Um, this one says supports writing 16 bits to the status registers first two bytes via command zero. Um, so the template is actually very ha handy for knowing what all of these settings are. Um, and so this this is meant the NVM Toml NVM Toml is meant to be a like use case agnostic database, and I've said this before, of he, human re, human modifiable and readable, but also machine modifiable and readable. And I've been pretty happy with it. I added some I added like a rename command to the cascade toml as well for like renaming some of these. So I started doing that. Um, but it's meant to just be a catalog of stuff. Um, and it's working out pretty well. So that, yeah. So, so one of the things that varies is how you switch these pins, like write protect from write protect to being IO2 and then hold or reset from, from that to IO3. Um, and so that's where this status and configuration register gets really is really handy. And what you're looking for in particular is the quad enable bit. Um, it's usually QE. So you can see here it's it's status nine, which means it's in the second byte and it's the second bit of the second byte. Um, and then we, we ignore all these others, all the other, all the other ones. Um, and then, like I said, this instruction table is really handy because it can show you what the instruction is and then also like the pattern of how to use it. So like what comes after it. Um, and you can see here like all the different um, modes for reading as well. Um, so here you can see like EB is uh, f three bytes of address and then a dummy, but this dummy has a, a super 11. And then there's two more dummies. And the super 11 says um, the first dummy is M7 through M0 and it should be set to fxh um which is interesting because it's actually a0h uh, for continuous stuff um but yeah so th this is a great way to look at um great way to look at different flash uh sheets the other thing i guess ordering information could be really handy as well um good afternoon paul Espresso has an ESP32S2HMI dev kit. Is that HDMI or HMI? Paul says, I just ordered, among other stuff, two Feather RP2040s. Awesome. Hope you like them. I'm really happy with mine, even though one of them's been qu quite abused. Um, ordering information is really handy because it helps you decode what the, the SKUs are. Um, and I'm still not quite sure with the wind bonds in particular there's q's and m's and q's and if you look in their website they've got if you look here in this tab that i've got open you'll notice that they have a regular part number and a dtr part number and they're both production and they have two data sheets and it's not clear to me whether like all parts are dtrs as well or or these are just for old stuff um it's confusing to me and I tried to order some, but you can see here that like if it ends in I 
if it ends in Q, it's a fixed quad enable, so we don't actually have to set it. And then it's backwards compatible, which I'm not sure whether that means that like some of the changes. Oh, human machine interface. Okay. Uh, for the S2. And then M is is uh, you have to set quad enable, um, and it has a different device ID. So in NVM Toml, it has two entries, one for each, um, because the device ID the the NVM Toml stuff originates from what CircuitPython had, and um, CircuitPython had device ID. It it what the way that its external flash stuff tries to work is it it loads that RDID JDEC ID. And then it tries to pick it from its options, and only if it matches verbatim will it actually use it. Uh, which is why we're—I'm trying to like move away from that so that we just trust the capacity um, of it instead. Okay, so I think that's about all of the flash stuff. The last thing I want to do is I actually want to just make sure that. Um, people will still be able to build CircuitPython now that I'm adding these dependencies. So um, one thing I want to check is just um, github.com Adafruit CircuitPython. I just want to look in here. <laughs> Documentation, code search, contributing. So I think contributing here is old. Um, let's just skim this. Ways to contribute, um, build instructions here. Okay, perfect. So this just links to the build instructions. Um, Hamsab says, Lamore was talking about erasing the flash taking a long time in manufacturing. Might have been on desk of Lady Ada. This chip has a this flash has a chip erase command that is quicker than doing it block by block. Yes. Chip erase tends to be. But if she was using UF2, which she might have been, UF2 does it does the erase block by block, um, which is what you want because if you did it all together, you, you would like blow away your file system when you did just a portion of it. Um. The Tinkerer says, about to solder the headers in the RP2040 feather. Awesome. Um, it isn't the most recent build, Python build info here. I don't know. Probably not. Paste and go. What does this say? Um... I think we're better about keeping, oh no, it has pre-commit in it. <laughs> this is the problem. So I do want to have this there. So Yeah, we're one thing we want to do is better be better about this as well. How do we get there though? Like this is, this is where I link people. Uh, 
Okay, so here's something interesting. It has this pip3 install Huffman. I think what I want to do is I want to add a requirements.txt into CircuitPython and then have all the requirements so that this line like wouldn't have to change. <laughs> found it. Todd found it by trawling the repo. <laughs> so that's not where I look, but I think Randy's advertising that they have their own Pico breakout board design. Okay, um, so I'll I can update this, and although I don't know if it says what directory you're in, in a terminal window, do that. Let's just take a look at. So this does pip3 install, brew install. WSL. And then manual setup. All right, so I think I think is it requirements.txt or dev requirements.txt that's the right file to add. Fetch the code. Oh, we're gonna want to do this first. On your build, when to make clean? When in doubt, make clean. <laughs> okay. Choosing a different file. Spy flash chip. There we go. That's handy. What a good guide. All right, let's just look at dev requirements. See if there's a, a proper oh it's requirements dash dev like requirements.txt I think that's what we want, right? Let's see what this says. Could you indicate in that guide that a pre-compiled MPY cross exists? I don't know if that's the right guide because, I mean, we could. 
But like that's not really library. Like that guide's specific to building CircuitPython core. <laughs> okay, I think we can just do requirements.txt. I just want to make it simpler to install stuff. So, text. I think that's the last thing I need to do. And then I can pull it. I was like, it's it's a little weird because I'm adding like the Jinja dependency and I'm adding um, the Cascade Tomal dependency. But I had both Dan and Jeff looking at it, and neither of them said like this is bad, <laughs> which I kind of expected them to and be like, whoa, what are you doing? Uh, so I'm pretty excited about the NVM Tomal stuff. Like Jeff was already like, "Oh, we should use that on IMX as well." So I'm hoping, I'm hoping I hit it, like designed it right. Um, okay, so let's just, what, what is this setup.py? Oh, look at that. Wait, can we just build it? Does this just work? This is for. Um, Let's just do requirements-dev. This is for pushing CircuitPython stubs, which we should definitely do. Um, I just don't know if it's working still. And I only want to have one um, requirements-dev.txt. OK, we require Huffman. We require Cascade Tomal. And we require Jinja 2. I think that's it. Ports. Raspberry Pi. So anything that those things depend on will be installed as well. But we can keep this list to a minimum. Let's just look at here. Am I importing a... Oh, Typer. Um, so we'll do Typer as well. Hyper. Okay, so those are all the things that we need to build. Um, and I think that's all I need to do, need to add. Where is this other doc building? I'll, I might as well update this. Debugging, code quality checks. I think maybe I'll leave that. 18 Makers Bill says, is there a separate build process, etc., for just the Blinka libraries? Does this impact them? This does not impact them at all. Um, no, and in fact, we want to better we want to better um document all the pre-commit stuff for all the libraries so that 
we might make it, I may take an interlude at the start of next week to just write basically this code quality thing up in all the readmes if it's not there already. Um, you know, I think I needed PO live as well for pre-commit. Um, so I'm just going to add that as well. I'm remembering right. And let me just do in my repo. Git status. Okay, so I have a new SDK commit because I had a typo. And I'm source there, pip install requirements dev. Well, bam. Okay, so I installed Huffman because I didn't have that installed. <laughs> but it, it, it validated that it could install all the things that I listed, which is good. Okay, so that looks good. Uh, let me, I'll add it to building as well. Although I feel like I should also... Oh, <laughs> this links out to the building. This is a quick start only. Submodule sync. All right, well, we'll do that. <laughs> Johnny says, just a heads up, Scott, you've been streaming for 80 minutes. Indeed. I've got an alarm on my phone set for 3.30, though, so I'm, I won't forget. And it's, I, like, that time gives me some time to get, like, he's just sleeping. He's easy to grab. <laughs> it's a nice thing about having the door closed, too, is he can't get away from me too much. Um, Foamy Guy says, I'm joining in late, but I'm, so I'm not sure of all the full context of what I'm working on, but I don't think Blinka libraries typically need to be built. They are Python only, I believe. Yes. So I think that's one reason to re- look at the the readmes i think we need to be clear that libraries tend to not need to be built only if they're going to be distributed do you need do you need to do that um okay so i don't actually want to update the learn guide quite yet because um it's not checked in but let's uh oh you know the other thing we need to check is the ci um, because the CI will break and all of these boards will stop building if we don't fix it. So let's see what build CI does. It sets up Python and then it does pip install. Oh yeah. Look at that long, long list. You know what? I think what we should do is let's just move all of these into there. Control X. And then we'll do pip install R. And we should be in the right directory requirements. Dev.txt. And in here, let's do like I just want to have like these are all the things that you should have installed. Um, I think we can put comments in here too for docs. 
Wait, check. If I fork circuit Python and make a local change, will the CI run and compile it for me on my repo? I believe so, yes. I think these are for pre-commit. These might be old too, but that's fine. Not sure what these are exactly for, but we shall unify towards one thing. Okay, build. Pull twice. Thank you, Gareth. So Huffman is for string compression. And this is for nvm.toml. Yeah, that's what like requirements txt is nice for it's just like i just want all the things we need for the environment yeah so those must be for these other checks which is fine mpy cross mac okay so we might have more We won't need it for MPY cross. We will need it here. Pip install. Let's make sure that all these are. Just dump them in here. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining in. I'm just about to wrap up and take the cat to the vet. But I think I my timing should be really good. I should be able to get... Um, I should be able to get this PR out. Here we go. Ugh. Might just alphabetize it. Yeah, I could do that too. I do like to say what they're for. Let's check these others. Although these don't build, so maybe it's okay. Ah, uh, we'll just, the repository's gonna be there. It's like, yeah, I'm going to install extra stuff as a result, but then I only have one place to worry about. Yeah. Request such a quick set of tools. AWS CLI. I don't think AWS CLI is actually for 
there for pre-commit, but this is for uploading artifacts. I think. All right, good enough. Let's just run the requirements install one more time. And I'm getting AWS CLI and stuff. That's fine. It worked. Okay. We want all of this. Add. Python depths. Failed. What did it change? Uh, any questions for the last eight minutes? Get my PJP key. This should be exciting. It should make it really easy to maintain flash info for all of our CircuitPython stuff. So I'm quite excited. And I don't think I need to rebase. Mm -mm -mm. Quite excited to have a central database of settings for Flash. Even if I haven't moved everything over yet. Ooh. Restarted my computer. And let's make this pull request. I won't even draft it. I should be able to. this comparison. Is there a Toml parser for CircuitPython or is it is it just CPython? There is not for CircuitPython. That's a good question. Um, there's a couple for um, there's a couple for regular Python though. And there's the one that I like to use is called Toml Kit. And the reason I like to use it is that it preserves enough information for formatting. So it allows you to round trip with minimal, like it preserves all the comments and stuff, which is really nice. Um, and so I'm using that and you'll see that like, oh, you want these three things and we're merging it together. Like it merges comments together too, which is really nice. Like I like the output a lot as a result. Okay, so this got both commits and we haven't actually tested the, um, We haven't tested the CI, but this will test the CI for us. It's a best case stage two for all the possible flashes. And we'll work with others of the same capability as well. Flash size. Are there other languages like CircuitPython, like Circuit C++ or CircuitJS? 
No, I mean there 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 are there is a JavaScript. I think it's called Esperino. It's kind of like the equivalent. And then um, if you're down in C land, um, you can use like Circuit Python has C level APIs that mirror the Python APIs, um, which is what we use internally. Configured based on the Flash. There is Lua, JavaScript, several Lisps, several fourths. This is this also moves some code and data into RAM so that its space is freed. RP2 and some basics. <laughs> um, Lady Ada just asked if wanted to jump in. This also moves TCN designated code and data into RAMs. Yeah, next week. Oh, Lady Ada says they just put in 700 RP2040 feathers. So if you want to get them, get them now. And uh, it's adafruit.com slash product slash 4884. Tiny go. <laughs> Gareth says CircuitPython is the standout choice for getting started with microcontrollers. Um, AT Makers Bill says we're looking for a way to do config files on both Arduino and CP. For now, we're just using JSON. Chris Young is working on pulling the config out of the Arcada libraries to use standalone. Was wondering about the Toml format. The nice thing about Toml is that it has comments. JSON does not, but JSON is supported. I just need one for my RMA. Did you have a bad one? Um, I'll put the link in the YouTube as well and for completeness. Um, let's wrap up. Um, let's go. All right. Well, thank you everybody for hanging out. Sorry it wasn't the full two hours and uh, we missed Lady Ada, which is a bummer. Uh, next week will be on Thursday because we're going skiing hopefully, uh, next week. Um, I just have to remind Lady Ada. So you all are now tasked with the job of reminding me to remind Lady Ada as well about Thursday next week. Um, okay. Um, 
let's see. Uh, super happy to conclude this Flash stuff. I think it's in the right direction. Um, and hopefully, you know, folks will find Cascade Tommel and the NVM Tommel really useful for other projects as well. Um, the goal is that it's, it's you know, a, kind of a project agnostic repository. So I uh, would love to see it become the tiny USB of Flash settings, I guess. Um, looking like next week we might, like, take a look at library process stuff a little bit. Uh, but then uh, getting on to Beely... Beely workflow stuff uh, is next up on the list. Uh, if you are using RP2040, um, I recommend always keeping the latest. Dan just released beta four, so thank you, Dan. Um, and we're like very close, and Dan's pushing to doing a six two, um, a six two thing as well. So there's my alarm. <laughs> um, yeah, short stream. There's I have a vet appointment in forty five minutes, so I wanted to make sure and give myself time to to get everything ready and throw him in his crate and stuff so um interesting um awesome well thank you all uh we'll see you next week on thursday uh again we're in the discord uh adafru.it slash discord and also, um, if you want to support me, support Adafruit by going to adafruit.com. Now's a great time because the Feather RP2040s are in stock. Um, so uh, feel free to check that out. And um, with that, I'll give Spook some pets. Even, well, he has nowhere to run. And he doesn't realize that he's going to the vet. So I'll give Spook some pets to, to wrap up. And uh, we'll see you all next week. It's just his annual. It's just his annual checkup. It's no big deal. He's just got to get his rabies booster, um, and he's been doing so well. So I'm. I, I hope they say that he's been doing well too. Is it chilly in here? Is the window open? All right. Thanks, everyone. Oh, he's like, Dad, pet me more. <laughs> <laughs>